We're back after two great services in the park. I hope you got to join us then. And we're getting back into the book of Philippians. And over the next three weeks, we're going to start wrapping this up. And so we're starting off uh, back in chapter 4. Now, if you go back to chapter 3, what Paul has been doing there has been kind of encouraging the people at Philippi to dig deep. Like Christ is all that matters. You got to press on. Your citizenship is not here on earth, but it's in heaven And you need to remember that because one day we will be with Christ there. And so as we get to chapter 4, he starts with, uh, and and a lot of, uh, there's some debate whether uh, chapter 4 verse 1 should be at the end of chapter 3 or the beginning of chapter 4. Because this is where Paul uses the word therefore. Now whenever Paul uses therefore, it's usually he's said a lot of things and he's going, all right, now listen up. Like I beseech you, like I implore you, I've got something to say. This is something we see in uh, Romans as well, through 1 through 11, chapter 1 through 11. He's giving all this amazing instruction in Romans 12, 1. He goes, therefore, I've said all this stuff, so pay attention. And so in this case, he's saying, you know, listen up. I love you. There's joy in you. You're my crown. And stay strong and stand firm. And so what Paul is doing is basically from this point on in the next few verses, giving some basic instructions on how do we practically live this life out How do we have a practical discipleship in this life? And so there's three things we're going to look at this morning when it comes to these passages, and that's reconciliation, rejoicing, and making your requests known. So that's these next few verses. So first off, we're going to start off with everyone's favorite topic, reconciliation. I know that's why you came this morning. So what Paul's talking about here, the reconciliation here is not a general call to reconciliation. There's actually a problem with two women in the church that he's trying to get to work out. He wants these two women to work this out. And reconciliation is, is huge, it's challenging, and it's generally misunderstood in our society and church. But it's important if we're not only going to do community together, but we're going to do life together. So to understand this, uh, he, this is a big theme for Paul all throughout Philippians. He talks about a lot. If we go back to Philippians 2, 2, and 3, He says this, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Now, when you take these words, complete my joy, be of the same mind, one accord, one mind, and apply them to what Paul's doing here. We're getting a good idea of what Paul wants from us when it comes to unity, when it comes to reconciliation, when it comes to getting along. Now, we don't know the specific problem here, but we know two things. One is there's this issue between two women in the church, and two, Paul loves them and admires them so much, he wants them to work it out. And that's an important aspect of what we're going to see here. But how do we reconcile? I know none of y'all have had any problems, right? So really, raise your hand. Anyone ever had a problem with another human being? Anybody? (laughs) So you're not alone, just so you know. This is a problem we all have because we exist together. And if you don't have a problem with another human being, you're either a hermit or you're the problem. Let's be obvious, okay? um, (laughs) But we've got to work this out. We have to figure this out. And this is something that was a struggle for me uh, and a process I've had to learn over the years, especially when I, I took my first pastorate, role in my mid-30s and was a head pastor because the, the previous decade before that, I was a business consultant. 
So I spent many years on multi-million dollar contracts with Fortune 500 companies with these large teams. And guess what? We didn't always get along. We, always, we sometimes would butt heads. And, and we would butt heads pretty hard with either employees, with bosses, with salespeople, with the, the clients themselves. But we always came the next morning and worked it out because we had a project to do. We had just something to look forward to. So I kind of took this mindset when I came into the, uh, the ministry, and it's probably the thing that shocked me the most. When people asked me what my biggest transition was or struggle was, that this is it. Because I took the same concept when people had struggles in the church, and I found when people get angry, they just leave. We do not like to reconcile them to the church. And it's painful and it hurts because we have a much better, greater mission than anything inside of corporate America. And I think this is why Paul is so adamant about reconciliation, about getting together, and about working it out. So there's a few things we can learn from this passage about what Paul's trying to get these two women to do. And the first is unity. He needs them to unite. They need to come together. Because, you know, there's one obstacle when it comes to reconciliation. Everyone hold up one finger. There's one obstacle. Now point at yourself. It's you, it's me, it's us. We're the problem when it comes to reconciliation. Our ego, our pride, and and usually it's our desire to be right. Or even our emotions get in the way sometimes. And it becomes problematic. Because the biggest key to reconciliation goes back to that verse in Philippians 2.3. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Our pride, our desire to be right over the relationship is one of the single greatest hurdles I've seen when it comes to reconciliation. You know what? And this may be shocking to you, but you can be right without forcing it upon someone else. I know it's hard to understand in our day and age, but you can be right without forcing it on someone else. Now, think about this for a moment because we've probably, and this this is going to sound harsh, but we've probably turned more people off to the gospel message of Jesus Christ through our pride, through our ego, and our desire to be right then we brought people into Jesus Christ because of our humility. And that's something we've got to process and understand well. Because I know, I can speak for myself, it's been bad. But I can't tell you how many times when it comes to some disagreement or slight, I can't even get people to the table. I can't get them to the discussion. We let our pride get in the way. But we can't let our desire to be right destroy the relationship. Like, I can, I can, multiple times when I'm doing marriage counseling, I have this couple across from me, and this, this is the example of it. And they start going into this benign story. I don't even know, I can't even tell what the story's about. But then they go like, you know, it was back in August, and, and the other one's like, no, it was October. It was August, October, August, October. They start arguing, then all of a sudden one's right and one's mad. That worked out really well. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Yet we get caught up in these little things where we have to be Right? And force it down and make other people mad. Humility means that we're probably wrong at some point on both ends. But what we are right about is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And exploring that and doing that with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we can get that right and move past our own little desires, we're moving toward reconciliation. Because I can tell you, 99% of the problems I've dealt with when it comes to disagreements in the church have little to do with biblical theology. That's problematic. So we need to unite and come together. 
Now, if we come together and unite and that doesn't work out, Paul tells us we need a mediator. We need, to, we need someone else to help us out. In verse 3, he uses this word yoke fellow or true companion or partner. Now, I don't usually use Greek up here, but the Greek word for yoke fellow is syzygous. And I say that because many scholars think that syzygous was actually a person, that this wasn't like, like uh, something you should do, but this was actually a person trying to help in the mediation. I don't know if this is true or not. I just love the fact that there's some dude out there named Syzygus who's named Yokefella, and he's going around and just helping people mediate their problems. <laughs> That's awesome. We need this person in our lives, don't we? The point is, if you're having problems with another person, bring someone else in with wise counsel to help you move toward reconciliation. And that's what Paul's trying to get these people to do. And then he goes on and tells them to be gentle and affirming. These are kind of no-brainers. Be gentle. You don't know what people have gone through. You don't know what they're struggling with. Show a little grace when it comes to reconciliation. And this last part, affirming, Paul does really well because he points out their gifts. He's like, we labor together. They have wonderful gifts, and I need these women in our ministry to move to forward. We need to work this out because they're a valuable part of what I'm trying to accomplish here in the name of Christ. That's where mediation and gentleness and affirmation come into play. Now, what I want you to understand about all these things when it comes to reconciliation is this is where the spiritual practices come into play. This is where the disciplines and our pathway series that we talk about constantly throughout the year are so important because they move us to the mind of Christ instead of the mind of Eric. Because you don't want the mind of Eric, trust me. You want the mind of Christ. Because when we pray, we're putting our will in humble response to God's will and what he needs to do in our life. When we fast, we're denying nourishment because we're relying on God and all he can provide for us as our nourishment. When we Sabbath, we're taking one day a week to shut the world out and listen to what God has for our lives. When we practice silence and solitude and meditation, we're focusing in on what matters most when it comes to the word of God. And when we do all those things, we can come to confession and confess our sins and humbly know that regardless of what we're doing in our lives, he loves us anyway. Because when we can do all that, we're not entering into reconciliation. We're seeing the other person as a child of God, and this is a natural response to just being another child of God. This is why the disciplines are so important and why we talk about them so much in this church. Because you can create a pattern of reconciliation in your life. So we need to reconcile. Next, Paul talks about rejoicing. We need to rejoice. And and this is in verse 4 and 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, Paul it seems like he's trying to get these two people together, then he makes a right turn here and like talks about rejoicing. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring it all together. Just hang with me here for a little bit. But there's two specific aspects to this request. Paul wants them to rejoice always. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about joy and suffering. And, and there was a certain amount of persecution going on at Philippi. But Paul's saying, rejoice always, regardless. Whether things are good, whether they're bad, rejoice in every part of your life. Then Paul kind of goes back to that reconciliation piece by telling them to be gentle to all or show your gentleness to all people is is how that reasonableness is um, in other versions. But this is important because this time in history, (laughs) under the Roman rule, uh, you forced your will upon other people. So at this time, it wasn't an eye for an eye. It was two eyes for an eye. If you came at me hard, I'm coming at you even harder. That was the Roman way. 
So when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek or taking your coke the extra mile, very, very countercultural. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Be gentle. Don't retaliate full force. Let your gentleness be known for all. And to understand this better, I love how Eugene Peterson says this in the messages verse. He says, make it as clear as you can to all that you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Wow, that's countercultural today, isn't it? That's what Paul said 2,000 years ago. Let's, let's not butt heads. Let's work together with each other. And the reason he says this, the reason he goes through this is because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming. Now, there's nothing in um, Scripture that we see that Paul thinks is going to happen right now because he, he is making plans with Timothy. We see that other things are happening. He's just saying that, you know, as a church in Philippi, you're closer to the Lord than you were when you started. So remember that. Remember the Lord is at hand. So basically, so far, Paul's saying, play nice and have fun. These are like kindergarten, playground etiquette rules that he's going through so far, okay? You got it? Play nice and have fun. Rejoice. Which brings us to the next one, and that is request. Make your request be known to all. Now, this uh, verse in 6 and 7 are pretty popular and well-known verses, not only like from Paul, but in general when it comes to New Testament Scripture. And I think it goes back to that one line that says, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety. Anxiousness. Again, anyone ever been anxious here? If you don't raise your hand, then I'll trade you places because I'm pretty sure we have a certain amount of anxiety in our lives. And, and I recognize it in my own life, just seeing them standpoint of um, whether a certain aspect of my job is having grown children or it's just driving down elk in the summertime. I mean, you just, it builds some anxiety. Because I don't know if you saw in the paper this week <laughs> in the overheard section, it says, uh, Elk Avenue is my worst nemesis. It's by a four-year-old. <laughs> we're, we're crushing preschoolers on elk. Man, that's, that's not good at all. But I think you get, get the idea that we have a certain amount of anxiety in our lives. And, and this type of uh, anxiousness, it was kind of like really put into a, a, a real kind of um, real-time life experience for me when I came back from Ukraine. So when I was there for three weeks, I, I didn't experience any kind of battle, but uh, like there's like sirens going off all the time. And I would basically just look around and like, if no one else is freaking out, I guess I'll, I'm okay. Or I would, every city we'd go to, there's buildings that are bombed or there's, um, or, or everyone's story. Everyone had a story and they're all so different and amazing. And as I saw, I was absorbing it. And, and even people when I was there were like, you don't seem like frazzled by this. I'm like, hey, I'm good. I guess, you know. But when I got home, it was my first night in bed. When I finally got my own bed and laid down, I could feel my skin crawl. And my mind was spinning because it was that anxiety of being in a war-torn area was finally bubbling up. But the good thing was that I realized it was happening and I could do something about it. Do not be anxious, but through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, Make your request be made known to God. Do not be anxious. That's what Paul says. You good? You got it? Just don't be anxious. We're all, we can leave now. We, we're good, right? Yeah, it's not that easy, unfortunately. But, but, but we just can't take that out of context because what Paul is doing here is kind of an Oreo sandwich of good things that go around this anxiety. Because remember, he just said the Lord is at hand. 
God is coming. There's a new heaven. There's great things happening, so don't be anxious. But then he goes on to say after that that pray. You just need to pray. And regardless of what's happening in your life, community, the nation, the world, pray. But do so with gratitude, with perseverance, with persistence, and thanksgiving. To understand this better, I want to go back to this story that Jesus talked about in Luke 11. And it kind of puts this in perspective. Now, the basis of this story is that a person had some friends come and visit in the night, and they weren't ready. They had no bread. So this person had to go to their neighbor and get some bread to feed their guests. And Jesus says, well, the neighbor, he's not going to give you bread because he likes you, because you're a neighbor, or he owes you. He's going to give you bread because you're annoying him, and he wants to go back to sleep. So he gives you bread because of your persistent behavior. Now, to understand this better, this scene is happening at a time where there's no hotels. They don't have VRBOs back in Jerusalem. And and there's no, like, KOA campgrounds. So when you traveled, you were relying on the hospitality of other people. You were relying on going to them and saying, hey, do you have a place to stay? And they inviting you in. And this could be a big thing because you have to feed them. They may have cattle. They may have sheep. They may have camels that you have to water as well. So you're relying on other people's hospitality, and you do this because when you travel, you're hoping that someone else is hospitable to you when you travel about. So this was kind of a Jewish culture thing happening in this moment, in this time, but it's also a biblical imperative that Paul talks about in Romans and 1 Timothy. We see it in Hebrews and 1 Peter. So to understand this passage and what Jesus is trying to get across, he, like just, we just said the Lord Prayer earlier. And that's what Jesus had just taught the disciples before he talks about this story. He's teaching them how to pray. So, and then he jumps right into the story. So he's not only going, this is how you pray, but you need to persistently pray. Get on your knees and persistently pray. So let's put ourselves in these shoes. Because we live in Crested Butte, and this could happen, right? <laughs> You're sitting at home. You had a long day at work. You had a good meal, you got your feet kicked up watching your favorite show on Netflix, and there's a knock on the door. That's your good friend from Texas. They got their spouse, three kids, and two dogs in tow, and they're like, hey, our hotel fell through. You gotta, can we stay with you for a few nights? You're like, oh, man, I don't, the bathroom's not cleaned. I don't have the bed made. I don't have the sheets washed. I got to vacuum the floor. I don't have any food in the house. But you invite them in anyway because they're your friends. The point is, this is the, where we have to make a choice with how we respond. This is what Jesus and Paul are trying to get across because it's this, at this moment, we could probably freak out, right? Like, I mean, why didn't they call? They could have texted. I mean, I was at Gunny earlier. I could have got groceries. I could have, you know, done something while sheets cleaned. This is a point where we can let our anxiety take over. And this is a point where Paul's saying, don't be anxious, pray. And what Jesus is saying, just don't sit there do something about it. Don't just sit there and cry because you don't have bread. Do something. Go do something about it. This is what they're trying to get across here. Both Jesus and Paul are simply stating when you get into this place, pray. Because Jesus goes on to state in Luke eleven nine 9, and 10, he says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. This is exactly what the neighbor did. 
he asked for some bread. He sought out his neighbor, and he knocked on the door till his neighbor gave him bread so he could be a good host. Ask, seek, knock. Now let's put Philippians 4, 7 at the end of that, where Paul goes on to say, when you do these things, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So now I'm going to attempt to put all this together for us. Because we live in an extremely selfish, self-centered, and contentious society where my time, my money, my feelings matter more than yours. So we're going to butt heads. We're going to have problems with each other. Because of this, what do we need to do? I've said a lot. Come on. Yeah. Pray. We need to pray. Remember that word. We're going to get to it a lot. We need to pray. We need to pray for our own hearts and humility. We need to pray for the other person. And most importantly, we need to pray that God's will comes out, not mine or theirs. Then Paul goes on to say that he knows people are hard and life is hard, so you should pray. Because when you pray, you see the good things in life. When you see the good things in life, you can be grateful. And when you're grateful, you can rejoice. Because when you rejoice, you're not making life all about you. And you can let your gentleness be made known to all, even on Elk Avenue in the summertime. Then Paul, then he, Paul takes it even further and says, I know life is hard and you're going to get stuck in your own head. And these things just happen and it's all right. Because when you get there, you just need to, hey, see, give thanks. Get on your knees in gratitude. Let God know how you feel and how you love him. Because if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart. And don't right now think you need a little peace in your life that can guard your heart. This is what Paul's attempting to do. When life is hard, when people are difficult, when you find yourself spiraling in your own thoughts, what do you do? You're getting it. When you can't stop worrying about life, kids, finances, jobs, family, living situations, you need to pray. But pray in a persistent way like the neighbor who needs to feed guests at his house. Pray in a way that nothing else matters in the world because you want that peace that passes all understanding. Pray in a way that you understand there's nothing greater that can come from this world than what you can get from the freedom of Jesus Christ and what he gave for you on the cross. To understand this and wrap this up, I want to go back to the Old Testament to King Solomon. Because there's this amazing scene in 2 Chronicles. So King Solomon, he just finished building this temple uh, to, to God. And they have this amazing dedication ceremony, which we'll get into at some point because it's, it's unbelievable. Like 20,000 ox were sacrificed and 120,000 sheep were sacrificed. That's a lot of blood. I, in my mind, like, what do you do with all that? But that's another story. Again, we'll get to that. Um, this... So he's at the temple. He just finished it. He just finished building the royal palace as well. And God comes to Solomon and speaks to Solomon directly. And so in 2 Chronicles 7.14, God tells Solomon, he says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Again, we see these words way back in the Old Testament. Paul's not presenting anything new. What Paul's really stating overall is, you know what? Play nice. Have fun. And pray. 
Those are the basic instructions he's giving us. Because I think right now in Crested Butte, Colorado, we definitely need to humble ourselves. We need to get on our knees and pray. We need to seek God's face and turn from our evil ways because the evil ways that are pervasive and coming to our lives are far greater than we even realize or, or understand. Because when he, we can do this, God wants to heal this land that we love, that we play in, that we live in and enjoy. So my challenge for you this week is I want you to pray. I want you to have fun because we live here. I want you to play nice and pray. If life has become challenging, pray. If there's difficult people in your life, pray. If you've got anxiety that you can't unleash, pray. And if that's not working, come and see me and let's unhinge that so that we can find that peace that passes all understanding. Because I truly believe that God desperately wants to heal the land of your heart, and he wants to heal this land of Crested Butte, Colorado. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you just for such easy instructions that aren't always easy to live out, Lord. But I pray over everyone in here as they leave this place, that they have the opportunity to just play nice, just to have fun and rejoice in you, and to pray. No matter what's going on in their lives, pray. Pray in a way that releases their anxiety. Pray in a way that releases all their earthly things happening in this life. And pray in a way that truly brings you to the center of their lives, Lord. And it's that place we can find that peace, which cannot be found anywhere in this world. And we thank you for that. We pray all these things in your precious holy name. Amen.